Hi, and welcome to AGM Watch, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. Coming up on November 19, 2020, is the SEEK AGM, ASX code SEK. Our company monitor is Claudio Esposito. Hello, Claudio. G'day, Phil. Like most companies, SEEK has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you tell us some details about this, please? Sure. So when the pandemic hit, Seek was sort of like one of the first ones to know about it because they um, because of their business Xiaoping over in China. Seek basically did what most companies did once uh, the pandemic took hold, and they just made sure that their employees were safe and um, you know and their families and so forth. But then you know once things started to take hold, I think it was in April or something like that. They noticed a. Their, their billings went down by about 70% and it persisted for a couple of months. So that wasn't too good for them, but they spent a whole heap of money and it was several million in um, in various things. But one, one of the things they did, they sort of set up a, uh, a platform for people who'd lost their jobs. So it was just a platform to help them out, to sort of get them on there, give them advice, um, what to do and um you know, where to go once the pandemic sort of starts to abate. Seek sort of uh, have this monthly report that they have. And so after their billings had dropped down by about, you know, 70% or what have you, uh, I think it was in maybe August or something, and they noticed that the stats started to move back up again. Um, and so they, they kind of sort of felt that bit of sigh of relief. So all of Australia started to improve except for Victoria, and that's mainly because we had those, you know, protracted lockdowns. But, you know, Phil, if you look at Seek's performance, you know, compared to other companies on the ASX, they, did, they didn't do too bad, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you had to compare Seek's performance to Seek, they didn't do good at all. Their revenues were $1.57 billion this year, but their revenues last year were like $1.53. So it did go up. They didn't really lose any money as such in terms of revenues. And I think the last time Seek had, a, had revenues were bashed down this badly was in 2008 and 2009. But outside of that, Seek's revenue always go up by like, you know, 10, 15, 20% year in, year out. So, yeah, when you say how did Seek perform, you know, in terms of COVID, yeah, look. It's not too no, bad. They, they, they will be okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I'd, they'll be okay. I just noted as well in the VIs that um, this is a quote. The company attribute a reduction of $13 million due to COVID-19 pandemic. However, this sum was recovered by cuts in discretionary spend and government grants from Australia and the People's Republic of China and New Zealand. Yes, that's right. Mm. That's exactly right. So I, mean, I think there are, so, there are a lot of companies that had received some sort of government grant, but I reckon that um, that 13 mil that they received, was it 13 or 8 can't remember now, but I think it would have offset it hmm. fairly well. So, can you tell us about their deep revenues premium products? I'm just quoting again here from um, from the report in ANZ in Asia and business processing outsourcing in China. These are interesting parts of the uh, of the business. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, their um, the deep revenue is something that they've adopted not too long ago. So they've got this thing called price versus uh, alignment. So what they do is they, um, in the past, you know, you just get a um, buy 
a few ads for, for, for whatever amount of money. And there was nothing nothing to it. But now what they did is they decided to, if you were, say, perhaps looking for somebody like a scientist, somebody who was hard to come by, then seek would charge a premium for that, as opposed to, say, somebody who just perhaps is a clerk or something like that. That's part of it. The other part is their ads They've got a regular ad, then you've got like ads that are more standout ads and you pay a little bit more for that. And when you pay that little bit more, it gives you other features like if you're a candidate and you look for that particular job and you look for, say, a you know, business analyst, then your job, the one you've advertised, will come up to the top of the list. So you get all those sorts of little things happening there. And that's basically all they mean by deep revenue. Oh, okay. And those things are growing. So in the past, they just had the your basic ad. You know what I mean? You just pay for a basic ad and that's it. And if you wanted every, any something else, you'd have to sort of like renegotiate something. But now it's sort of different. So they've allowed now people to buy a whole heap of ads. Like you could pay, say, have a spend, a yearly spend of, say, $10,000. And within that, you can pay for whatever you like. And it makes a lot easier for people to perhaps pay for a a simple ad or perhaps a more complicated and more sophisticated ad if you're looking for that special kind of candidate. And they're seeing their revenues grow along that spectrum, you know, that that special kind of ad um, spectrum, and and that's what they mean. So, and I think it's quite an intelligent thing to do because in the past they had the they've got the market share, and that's all they really cared about in the past. But what they want to sort of focus now on is outcomes, you know, and and this is the way to do it. And and what about business processing outsourcing in China? What's that all about? That just refers to, so they've got these other small businesses, but all the businesses are sort of connected to the Seek business model. So you've got something like Sidekicker, which is, this is not a Chinese business, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But you've got a business called Sidekicker, which is an Australian business, and it's it basically looks at highest people in hospitality, but these are just short-term contracts. So if you want somebody to perhaps attend an event, you know, for you, for whatever, you know, that may be your security or drinks, you can do that through Sidekicker and you can hire somebody at the drop of a hat, you know, throughout the week. And similarly, they've got another business called Job and Talent that they just uh, acquired in Spain. And that's in a slightly, that's in a different industry in uh, warehousing and logistics. And it's the same thing. Get somebody in short term, quick, and, you know, Seek have got the technology. They can sort of facilitate that transaction very quickly. That's where the kicker is for, for Seek. Now, this business model is also found in other countries, and, and, and Xiaopin is one of them. So Xiaopin have got uh, the online portion, which is basically what Seek is, the, the core business. And then you've got the offline. So part of that offline is the BPO that we just talked about. And then there's, there's another part of the offline business, which is a campus recruitment business. And all these things, the campus recruitment business is just something to help complement the online part of the business where the graduates get together, they get together with um, industry leaders 
and it's all to facilitate a relationship. And so you've got these graduates now who form a relationship, you know, resumes are submitted and, and accounts are sort of created. And it just allows the candidate to find their first job and then perhaps even find another job as they become more experienced. And then later on, they've also got this other business called Highpin. And that basically is responsible for hiring directors and executives and stuff. So they kind of lock the, you know, the student in from the very beginning, from when the student graduates, all the way, you know, down to the entire spectrum of their, you know, their careers. And, you know, it's doing very well. And I think it was that part of the business that actually allowed Xiaopin to perform as well as it did this year. In fact, the Seek Investments were the only ones that did reasonably well under the circumstances. All the rest, if you look at, you know, uh, the Australian, New Zealand, Asia, Brazil, particularly Brazil, they all had a decline in revenue. So it works very well. <laughs> <laughs> a good business model. But um, Seek requires sizable capital outlays to maintain this growth. What, what is that capital being spent on? Well, the capital all boils down to technology and what they care about is finding the relevant candidate mm -hmm. and matching them up with the most relevant hire and to do that in the shortest time possible with the technology they have. They call it data analytics and also artificial intelligence, but it allows them to pick out as many bits of data within those resumes and, 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 you know, the accounts that the hires have. So when those two merge, they can, the hire can actually pick out who is the absolute right candidate and it happens extremely quickly. And that's what they're spending their money on. You, you know, the capital spend is very important to them and I, and I might sort of go backward for a minute as to why it's so important. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 in 97, when they started... They just cared about candidates and hires and just getting those jobs posted up, you know, and those CVs, and that's it. Um, they didn't really care about outcomes, and they were doing reasonably well up until about 2008 and 2009 when the likes of Facebook and also uh, LinkedIn decided to come up on their radar. Now, those businesses are unique in that they're, they're, they're personalised, you know, there are hires and there are candidates on, on LinkedIn and Facebook. And the good thing about those businesses is you can see that person, you can see their profile and what they've done, and you can see who they know and who they're affiliated with. So you could argue that those websites potentially could locate a better suited candidate mm. than C could. Yeah. And so they found themselves in deep water. And so they decided, hey, you know, how are we going to bridge that gap? And the way they did it, they decided it's, it's technology. We need to up the technology. But the problem is, well, if you could call it a problem, is that it's capital intensive. You know, Seek's CapEx doubled over the last 10 years. And if you look at their amortization, and if you want to use that as a, as, as a proxy for the, um, the money that they spend on technology, it's gone up 15 times, which is huge. Mm. So they can't stop this CapEx. But, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding, Phil, because if you look at 
where they've been and where they are now, ANZ's grown, this is in seven years, ANZ's grown um, just under two times. Uh, the Mexican business has doubled in revenue. The Xiaoping's gone up in revenues for 15 times. And so they all have got, um, grown except for Brazil. There's, there's an issue there. So they know what they're doing. They understand that there's a relationship between capital expenditure and the growth of revenue. And, and the, stiff, the stiff competition that's um, brought it about. I mean, you can see that, I suppose, if you look at Xiaoping, I think their, their margins have been shaved down since 2013. Actually, it's been shaved down quite a bit. They had an EBIT of around about 26 back in 2013, and this year it's 17%. So it's shaved down, but you can see that they're gaining traction in terms of market share because the revenues are quite high. Most important thing for them is network effects. And they've got this thing, Phil, if you can get one and a half to two times more candidates and more hires than your nearest competitor, then essentially you're home and hose. That that network effect just sort of like kicks in and, you know, the revenues just start to pull away from your competitors. Mm. And, and so, the, yeah, metrics are a big thing for them. So um, did you want to talk about Brazil as well and um, the situation arising there? We haven't really talked about how they've sort of performed this year other than the revenues, but they took a loss, 111 mil loss, mm. which is quite substantial. But if you have a look at the accounts, there are some things that had increased, like their debt and their amortization, which is un- which is normal. But Brazil took a an impairment charge of 200 million. This is not unusual. It's happened in the past. And I think I calculated and over the last three or four years, they'd racked up 300 million in impairment charges just on Brazil mm. and OCC as well, which is unfortunate. And I got the feeling that they really don't know <laughs> what to do. I'm sure they'd like to offload the business, you know, sooner than later. But um, the question is, who will buy? Yeah, whether they're hopeful that the the economy turns around in Brazil, which is one of the reasons. It might be the Brazilian attitude, too much sunshine and beaches. <laughs> it probably <laughs> is. Who knows? You know, look, when I spoke to um, the chairman, mm. they, uh, he said that they'd uh, acquired Brazil back at the time when they had room and the BRICS. Yeah, the, the BRICS were all the, the, all the, the theme game. of the BRICS came out. Yeah. I think it was 2008 or nine or something. I can't remember how far back it was. But they said the, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, they were all going to be these big mm. sort of players in the economy. And, uh, you know, for a short time, Brazil was. And, you know, there was a, a lot of money being poured into the country. And then, you know, Seek went and made the acquisition. Yep. But um, things had changed. The economy had changed. You know, mm-hmm. the, the politics had changed and created all sorts of issues there. I don't really know ha- how it all played out. Yep. But, you know, suffice to say that Brazil is t- hit hard. And even with COVID now, that's yep. the other thing. That's mm-hmm. probably why that it's been written down so much too is the COVID situation has just flattened revenues. Okay. Well, let's um, move on to the board. And there's been some unfortunate developments in the composition of the board this year with uh, the loss of Denise Bradley. Can you tell us about that and um, what you found out about her replacement? I was very surprised when I heard that, you know, what happened to Denise Bradley and that she passed away. But then I thought, she wasn't at the AGM and I sort of started to, started to think all sorts of things. But they found Linda Christensen and 
I think she's a good fit. She's been in the industry for a very long time, for about 30 or 40 years or something like that. And she's also on the board of Education Australia. And she was also vice chancellor, Swinburne University. So she's very well qualified. I don't know if you could ever replace somebody like Denise, but I think they've come very close. So, you know, we're, we're confident. We're going to vote for her. You'll be voting for her and also voting for the re-election of the other board members as well? And the re-election of the other board members as well. We actually voted against the remuneration. Well, I was going to, we were going to get onto that, the remuneration report. <laughs> <laughs> this is the interesting part. Yeah. The proxy advisors, was last year they took a, a, the first strike, 25.7. So there was a lot going on with proxy advisors and they weren't happy with a number of things. Quantum was one of them. TSR was another thing. So quantum, essentially, that's not going to change, but neither is Andrew Bassett's fixed remuneration. It's not going to change. It stays the same. He didn't get uh, anything pay out this year. They weren't happy with the TSR because they said, well, you know, it could go either way, depending on market forces, which is true. They didn't like the cliff vesting, and we, we never liked cliff vesting from day dot, but, you know, it was one of those things that, Overall, their remuneration is not too bad. And we sort of always said on balance, you know, with everything else that they have, you know, we took it on board. But the cliff vesting is no more. Mm -hmm. They've created a a graduated vesting now. So they've got a minimum target and a maximum target. And they still calculate it in the same way. So it's the ASX 200 growth rate over the last 15 years. You know, whatever that growth rate may be, they sort of like – pick a price point, you know, the share price, how much would that be, say 5% or 3% over the next three years and whatever share price that is, that's going to be your target. Yeah. So they've got that their minimums and it'll vest 50%. And then if you hit the maximum, obviously 100 and whatever you get in between, it'll be it'll vest at a prorated amount. Uh, they didn't like the sign-on bonus. I mean, that's, that's against ASA's policy as well. But we say if you have to, that you perhaps pay it in equity and have it staggered over three years. And they did that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing they didn't like was the options-based pricing model. So they obviously, like we do, we prefer um, you allocating shares based on market prices mm-hmm. and not, not on complicated formulas. I was just doing a few numbers. It's... If they do opt for rights, they end up getting twice the number of rights. If they if they go for options, they end up getting seven times the number of shares. We think that's just a little over the top. And it's it's just not simple. It's not clear. If somebody cracks open the annual report and they look at that, it just when I say somebody, I'm talking about a retail shareholder, it just it just complicates things. You know, we'd rather see something that's a little bit more straightforward and a little bit more fair. Obviously, that's argumentative, but, mm-hmm. you know, seven times the amount of options, I think, is um, is, is quite rich. So um, even though we're voting against the remuneration report, we're not supporting a spill motion if it does get through? No, because the board themselves, I believe, are competent. If we were to vote for it and then say they did spill the board, it's the likelihood that you aren't going to actually impact the company's performance. So it's very disruptive. You know, they'd have to get a whole new panel of board members and uh, it's disruptive and it's also very risky too. So at this point in time, we'll say, no, we don't want to spill the board. Uh, We can sort of reevaluate 
uh, as things move along, I suppose. So are there any questions that you've asked or will be asking at the AGM? I'd like to ask what are their feelings about the economy moving forward, given the impact that um, the pandemic has had and what will that mean for SEEK on a global level? Because we don't really know what's going to happen in the future. If we're going to have repeat bouts, repeat mm-hmm. pan- pandemics, sure, we get a vaccine and stuff like that, but how effective will that be? We'd like to know what SEEK's plans are for the Brazilian business mm-hmm. into the future. And we'll also be asking if they're, if they're willing to review the remuneration report further with regards to the uh, PR allocation, the performance rights allocation strategy. But yeah, I will still give it some thought. So yeah, the AGM's on the 19th and um, I'll see what else I can come up with <laughs> between now and then. <laughs> Any tricky questions. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we get a lot of, you know, enough questions through, you know, given that it's going to be online and stuff like that. Claudia, thank you very much for your time and joining us on AGM Watch. Thanks for having me, Phil. 